Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. I'm here to help you face these challenges head on, and today I'm here with Dr. Julie Brown. Hi, Julie. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) She's an emergency medicine attending physician at Seattle Children's. She trained at multiple different places, actually. She went to medical school in Canada at McGill, and then she got multiple different degrees and levels of training from the University of Washington after she started her residency at Rainbow Babies in Cleveland. And I mention that because I love working with clinicians who have been at all sorts of different medical centers. I think it really helps from a perspective standpoint. Um, She's done additional fellowships and training in both pediatric emergency medicine, but also pediatric biomedical disease and evidence-based medicine. So she cares about how you take data and how you kind of bring that data into how the doctors in a large system even practice. And she's been working really strategically as an emergency medicine doc to protect kids who swallow things and to protect kids with um, life-threatening food allergies and help families, clinicians, doctors like me, parents, families, and advocacy groups even understand how we use the medicines we have to help save kids when they're exposed to things they shouldn't be. So I'm so happy you're here. Well, thank you for that great introduction. Happy to share. So let's start. You know, I think Anybody listening, this is a podcast today that's really, hopefully, um, for food allergy expert moms and dads and for food allergy families who teach me so much about how to manage and support kids who have, um, you know, anaphylaxis to foods. But I also learn for kids even who have anaphylaxis, things like insects and stings. And it's also for, you know, teachers and pediatricians and family docs and everyone else and anyone else who lives in a classroom with kids. And if you look at the data, most classrooms in the United States, one to two kids in each classroom in the U.S. will have have a food allergy that could lead to anaphylaxis. So, Julie, what is anaphylaxis? Help us understand that. So it is an immune reaction uh, um, that results from exposure to something that should be benign, something that our body should accept, um, but that our body has decided is um, a foreign agent that it needs to attack and remove. And so um, it uh, involves many different body systems. So we think classically of rash, but there are lots of kids who can have serious allergic reactions that don't have rash. It can also involve um, runny nose, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, closing of your throat or trouble breathing or wheezing. Um, there are, are neurologic symptoms like this feeling of doom, like something really bad is happening and often something bad truly is happening in anaphylaxis. So um, Families with food allergies need to learn all of the signs and symptoms and when they should um, treat their children with epinephrine. Julie, is there one? So anaphylaxis, as I was trained as a pediatrician, I typically think it's more than one system in your body, right? More than one organ is showing you that reaction. Is that still a way that somebody can think about it? I mean, uh, that so there are there's kind of this. Um, divide between what is a diagnosis, a clear diagnosis of anaphylaxis, which really requires at least two systems or a serious reaction, mm-hmm. and what is enough in a food allergic child to warrant treatment with epinephrine, which actually has a much lower threshold because we don't always want to wait until we have 100% certainty this is anaphylaxis before we treat because by then 
it's harder to treat well and harder to make the allergic person better again. So in the community, we might respond to, for a child with a known allergy to food, for example, if they've eaten the food they're allergic to and they have one system, such as widespread rash or profuse vomiting or diarrhea, they might treat with epinephrine at that point, even though that might not meet a classical definition of anaphylaxis. Well, that, just to be transparent, I mean, that gets back to even, I think, the point of us doing this podcast. I went to Dr. Brown's Grand Rounds presentation not too long ago and realized that um, she was kind of singing this song that has become so important to me, learning from food allergy families, that um, I want people to be aware and compassionate to families with food allergies. But one of the, the kind of points of us doing this podcast, too, is to help people feel comfortable using Epi and not to wait, right, to your point, that you don't have to be sitting there with a checklist trying to figure out if this meets criteria. If a child has had a potential or a known exposure to something that they know they're not allergic to or that they're allergic to or not even, um, we want to use epinephrine early and we want to use it before they even get to a hospital because, to your point, right, they do better. So in some ways, we're trying to build trust on how do you know when you need to use it and how do you use it? Uh, exactly. So the, the mantra is epi first, epi fast. Yeah. Um, if you think you're having an allergic reaction, it's better to err on the side of giving it than not giving it and giving it earlier. There's lots of evidence that shows improved outcomes for people having anaphylactic reactions when epinephrine was used early, often before they came to the emergency department. Um, yet we see that only about a third of people who should have used epinephrine have used it prior to arrival in the emergency department. So um, we really need to do a better job of helping families understand that this is an extremely safe medication. There are no serious adverse events reported in children using epinephrine in the right dose in the thigh, um, you know, the way an auto-injector is used. So we should really be not um, worrying about giving epinephrine, even in the presence of a little bit of uncertainty. It's better to err on the side of giving it. Yeah, I love that. And you, you after that grand rounds, I felt more and more comfortable talking about epi just to patients and families after you talked to me about that we don't have a case saying a child with the proper dose of epinephrine from an auto-injector has had a bad outcome, right? That families yep. should feel, feel comfortable with this as a medicine. You know, I remember, I think it was in grand rounds where you opened it talking about kind of the you know, the kind of like Hollywood version of what epi is, which is someone like taking a needle to a heart and restarting someone's heart. And it's this big dramatic thing. And that's not the kind of epinephrine that we have in schools and in sports packs and families and kids who self-carry it. That's not the typical <laughs> example. Exactly. So can I go back, though? So you helped us understand what anaphylaxis is, which is a reaction from an organ in the body to an exposure, something that the body didn't like. So profuse vomiting, hives, swelling in the lips, a feeling of doom, wheezy, tight throat. What is epinephrine as a medicine, and how does it work when one of those things happens? Well, epinephrine is something our body makes naturally. It's another name for adrenaline, which, you know, is part of our fight and flight response um, to scary things. But it also has um, a, probably an, a built-in role in reversing this allergic reaction because it, it reverses almost perfectly everything that is happening in an anaphylactic response. Um, and it stabilizes these mast cells, which are releasing all these mediators of inflammation that are responsible for that response. So it, so it um, acts on all the end organs that are, that are reacting, and at the same time, it kind of shuts down the process, 
process that is initiating this response. So it really is, other than the fact that you have to give it as a shot, which is so challenging for some people, it really is a perfectly designed drug. It's, it's a wonder drug in anaphylaxis. Because it's just so matched at the cellular level with what's happening. That's exactly. What yeah. And that probably isn't an accident. I think our immune system probably designed epinephrine to have that role in, t in turning off this immune reaction so that it doesn't get out of control, which is what's happening in anaphylaxis. Yeah. So sh let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we we've talked on, you want to talk about recognizing signs of anaphylaxis? So this is for families who do have children who have known, you know, food allergies or allergies that can turn into anaphylaxis. I mean, I thought one of the statistics from FAIR, um, you know, the website that that you should all know about. It's www.fare.org, which is the, tell me the acronym. Uh, the Food Allergy Research, Research and Education. Um, for me, I didn't learn about it until after I was out of training. I learned about it from Food Allergy Moms and then started sharing it with other patients' families, but it's a great site of um, lots of resources. But, um, you know, one of the things is understanding, um, recognizing science of anaphylaxis. But in, that, in their statistics, it was, you know, one to four out of one to five uses of epinephrine in a school is for a child who didn't have an otherwise known allergy at the time, right? So all of us are responsible for making sure in some ways that we understand and have heard about it and understand that we may need to use it even in a child who we didn't historically know was food allergic. Right. And there, there's been a big push to have auto-injectors in schools that aren't um, designated for a particular child that can be used by um, a school nurse or anyone who's trained uh, for any child who's having an allergic reaction because so many children without known allergies um, have reactions in school when they're exposed to something new. Yeah, and are, is there controversy on that? I mean, have you heard that, I mean, does every school have epi? I mean, I, it's one of the things I remember saying to, to families is like, I think a tweet I sent a couple of years ago is like, go and find out and make sure there's EpiPens at your at your at your school. And, you know, we don't even have a school nurse at my my children's school. So there's an administrative office and there's an EpiPen, but we don't have necessarily a trained nurse. And that, that can be true for schools all across the United States, too. So now you don't necessarily need a nurse <laughs> yeah. to use an auto-injector. And that's that's the benefit in some ways of the of the labeling and what these how these meds are designed. Well, the, the challenge is that it, this is a very unusual situation for nurses to give a medicine that doesn't have a prescription and isn't approved for yep. use in a particular child. So um, the, the change is happening state by state as legislation allows this uh -huh. to happen. So um, there has been legislation passed in Washington State and in California and in a number of other states, but it isn't uh, universal across the country. Yeah, so that's worth checking in just so you know as a parent for your community of is there an EpiPen there for an unexpected use. So, Dr. Brown, help us understand how um, how families who aren't used to epi, how would they identify it? What would they do with it? Not necessarily. We'll put on Mama Doc blog some videos and links to how to use an auto-injector and how to dose it. But what should families know about epinephrine just at large in the community? Uh, well, we've talked about them knowing that it's very safe to use. Usually, um, they'll be um, using it for a child who's carrying it, perhaps who's visiting and playing at their house, oh. um, uh, it would be it's great to be willing and take the time to learn how to use it from the parent of yeah. that child when they're going to be staying in your house, so that you can be supportive. Um, they're all there are three different devices that are available in the United States: um, EpiPen, AviQ, and there's an Impax Lineage Generic, and they're all a little bit different, and each has its own instructions for use. Uh, they're all very easy to learn to use, but it's important to know 
how to use the device that a child in your environment um, uses. Well, I'll tell you, I don't have a child with food allergies in my home. And the first time, I've been trained as a doctor of how to use Epi, EpiPen, uh, you know, because that was the device I was trained on. I've been given the trainers. So often, just so you know, they're great trainers that allow you to kind of practice with the device. And so I just want to say, too, it's not unusual to feel, like, nervous and intimidated by epinephrine. I mean, I think... That's a natural thing. I could feel a little bit. I would be my my own natural adrenaline would go <laughs> wild in my body were a child in my presence to need it and has. I've had to d- dose it in my clinical practice. I've had to dose it in the community before. So, I know that experience, and I'm even trained to do it. So I just want to empower people to say it's okay that it feels you feel unsteady in this. But to Dr. Brown's point, there are only three different models. But if you ever have a child in your midst, just ask the parent or the kid themselves how do you use this and review it. And and AviQ, you know, was recalled for a bit of time, it's back on the market, but it talks you through it too. So it actually teaches you that you turn the device on and it talks to you and guides you through it to really take away the, the stress. So I think you, you as a listener can feel empowered if you have or have not handled one of these devices, that in the moment you'll be able to help a child if you take a moment to look at the directions even on the device themselves that are very well labeled. Yeah. I, and I think it's scary even for allergy parents. They, yeah. they may have had a child with food allergies for years and never had to use a device. So um, you know, everybody can be a little bit nervous um, about using it, but don't be afraid to ask an allergy parent. That's what they want you to know: is don't exclude the child. You know, include them, but ask yeah. how to keep them safe and how to use an auto injector should they need it. Yeah, well, thank you. So, you know, in summary, I think we're here to help hopefully encourage you to learn more about epinephrine, epinephrine auto-injectors in the community. They might be in your classroom. They might be at your school. They might be in the child's backpack who's headed over to your house. Um, Ask questions and be open about it. You know, food allergies and allergies that can lead to anaphylaxis that in addition include things like bee stings are common. As many as 15 million people have food allergies in the United States. Um, And that includes even an estimated 9 million of who are adults. So that means nearly 6 or 8% of children have food allergies. I mean, that 8% is almost 1 in 10. It's 1 in 13. So we're saying you've got a classroom of 20-some kids, and there's likely a child or two um, who may need your support or just knowledge about this, your compassion and openness to making sure that not only do you know about treatment in the worst-case scenario of an exposure, but also really work on embracing that you might want to even change the environment. Uh, You know, Dr. Brown, before we conclude this one, what are the top allergens that, you know, from statistics, but also anything from your experience in the emergency room that you want to share about kind of where do these exposures come from? Well, for food, the... um There are eight top allergens that are labeled in food products in the United States, and that includes peanuts, tree nuts, milk, eggs, soy, wheat, fin fish, and shellfish. Um, But there are rising um, other allergens that are coming up, including sesame. And in in Canada, they label for mustard, which is a common allergen. And um, uh, we're seeing more and more kids who have multiple allergies, who may have an allergen on this top eight list, but may have other allergies as well. Yeah, so multiple, I think it's almost a third. I may be right. I'm not looking at a statistic, but I think a third of kids will have more than one, right? So it it isn't unusual. And sometimes children will grow out of one allergy and not another, vice versa. And historically, you know, I think we hear a lot about peanut allergy because 
peanut is more likely than other foods, right, to lead to anaphylaxis. So, and our we've also had a kind of tragedy in the United States that over the last decade they they tripled in number in some ways, partly because of the environment in which kids were being raised. So I think people hear a lot about peanut, but just as a reminder, right, these these number of foods take up about ninety percent of the food allergies in kids. And and any of these allergens can cause a life threatening reaction. So um, sometimes the people whose children have allergens other than peanut feel like peanut gets all the attention. Um, And it is a serious and common allergen, but um, any of these allergens can be life-threatening. And it's very challenging for a child who's allergic to milk to be in a school environment where there are cheesy goldfish crackers and, you know, milk offered at lunch. So we have to keep in mind that all of these allergens can be a serious problem. Yeah. And I think, I think thankfully, the environment's changing. We'll talk more about this on another podcast, that, you know, where we have like peanut-free tables. But you're, to that point, we don't have milk-free tables typically. We typically have peanut-free tables in classrooms. And, and that, that changes the game, right, for these, other, for these other allergies. Right. Sometimes we have allergy tables where they take into account Everyone. what the allergies <laughs> are in the school. But it's yeah. very tricky for schools yeah. to figure out how to manage this. So one, one thing that we can at least do is think about the food that's brought into the classroom because you certainly have to eat food at lunch and and maybe at recess, but you don't have to eat food all day long in the classroom and we can make our classrooms free and safe for children with allergies. Um, thank you, Dr. Brown. So as a quick reminder, you know, um, food allergies are common in almost every classroom in the United States. There might be a child who's at risk for having anaphylaxis. That's where a, at the chemical level in the body, your a child's body or an adult's body is kind of overreacting to something they're exposed to, causes these things called mast cells to spill out all sorts of chemicals that cause tissue to swell. It causes vomiting, diarrhea, rash, wheezing, trouble be- trouble um, uh, breathing, but also even the nervous system, to your point, a sense of doom or unease. If you are in the presence of a child with a known allergy or maybe in the presence of a child with an unknown allergy that looks like they're going down this pathway, we want you to learn about epinephrine, help support, and to act. That up to like a third of kids show up in the emergency room um, not getting epinephrine when they would have done better getting it in the field. It's a safe medicine and there isn't a documented case for a child getting epinephrine at the correct dose that caused significant harm. So learn about epinephrine, support these allergy families if you're not one yourselves, and continue to share uh, online things that you know. And we will put lots of link on uh, seattlemamadoc.com that backs up Dr. Brown's research, interest, and advocacy. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for having me. The reality is parenting is a high stakes job, but the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at seattlemamadoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 